0: to the Batman Universe commentaries brought to you by the batmanuniverse.net join the staff of the batman universe as we watch another exciting incarnation of the cape crusader from his extensive media library
1: Hello and welcome to the Batman Universe Commentaries, where we're going over tonight, The Dark Knight Returns, Part 1. My name is Donovan, and joining me tonight is... This is Joe. This is Melinda. This is John. Hey, and this is us. So, uh, yeah, we're going over the most recent, as of this date, released DC animated movie, The Dark Knight Returns, Part 1. Obviously adapted from the legendary graphic novel, The Dark Knight Returns, by Frank Miller. So we're not going to make this too long of a bit, but uh, before we go in just briefly, uh, we might as well exposit our familiarity with this, either the source material or the movie or whatever we know, because this is a very famous piece of work. So uh, starting from Joe and going back to me eventually, what is your history with the source material or the movie or basically what do you know about it going into this movie?
2: Come on, Don. I am a self-respecting Batman fan. I, of course, have this. Pride of Place on my Batman shelf, or one of my Batman shelves. Now, I've, of course, read this. I knew all the hype going into the book. And I put it. I did put it off for a bit, to be honest. I had to wait for it to be in a, a sale before I picked it up. But I was so glad when I did. It really is a phenomenal book. Obviously, for me, not reading it all the time, it doesn't have the same impact as it did back then, just for comics in general. But it's still a fantastic story, so... Loved it, and then as soon as I heard the film was coming out, I was very, very excited. So I couldn't wait to see this.
1: That's what I like to hear. I
0: saw it on a top twenty-five list when I first first got into Batman. Read it. I'll be perfectly honest. I've never been overly impressed with Frank Miller's work. So when I heard they were doing this, and after having watched Year One, I kind of went, "Oh, uh, really?" But that being said, um, I am willing to give it a fair shake and was willing to give it a fair shake.
3: Okay. John? I um, got this after the Dark Knight came out. My friend picked it up for me and I read through it and I thought it was a really, really fantastic um, graphic novel. There's a lot of stuff that resonates now and lots of comments on society that you can see now and it's definitely one of my favourite graphic novels of all time. That's a shadow of a doubt.
1: All right, excellent. For me, it's it, obviously for the Batman universe and for anybody listening to this. If you are listening to this, then there's no doubt about how just epic in every sense of the word this story is, how important it is. I actually read it a long time ago in the middle of the 90s when I was in grade school. My uncle uh, lended me, because he, he was a collector of comics, he lended me this, not knowing how much of an R-rated story it was. And um, this, along with Year One, I had in the collection, and um, so I've always kind of read this, and even as a kid, I didn't understand—I didn't understand nearly as much as I, I would have as I do now. So I read it, being this is a very weird story. This is a very like the panels are different, but at the same time, you, you could still understand how how hard hitting the story was, how well it was told. And now, as an adult, it's just—it's just an absolutely ridiculously well done story, which always made me curious when they said that they're going to adapt, adapt it for uh, the movie i'm trying to think how many adaptations have they done they did the new frontier they did public enemies they did supergirl apocalypse that's three
3: under You're the red hood doomsday
1: doomsday six doomsday
2: yeah I saw Superman.
1: right okay about a Quite a few. okay yeah so i guess mo- yeah i guess most of them are adaptations they're not just original stories Although I would say that the Doomsday one's kind of half and half because it doesn't really follow the story as much as, uh, most of the other ones do. But, um, yeah, this one I went to with a very cocked eyebrow as to how they're going to pull it off. And, um, what do we think? Well, uh, let's get in. Let's get into it. So, uh, you know the drill. I'm not going to repeat the food line. Well, I might because it is funny. Uh,
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> grab your popcorn, grab your Twizzlers, grab your Grab, what have you plan on ingesting throughout this commentary for the next hour or so? We are all paused at zero zero, so I hope you are too. That's when we will start. And after a countdown of five, we will begin the movie. So please press play, listeners, in five, four, three, two, one, play.
2: Now I pressed on the B after play. Was that right?
1: Yeah, sure
5: was. <laughs>
4: Make sure you have the well,
5: right
2: man. So what do you there's, think of the new logo? <laughs> I don't
4: it's like weird it. to see.
1: It's less it's less uh, engaging as the like I do not say the original logo, but like the last logo. Because they would have like, the reflections of comics in there. Now it's just like DC! It's just there's no uh, interesting things about it, I don't think. But, it's been out for a while. We're getting used to it, I suppose.
3: Yeah,
4: I've definitely gotten used to it.
3: I miss the comics, though. I always thought that was the nice bit about the DC logo, when they flicked through and you could see all the different bits. It always the, the most interesting bit of itself.
1: I agree. Well, Especially I don't know Green Lantern. <laughs> <Well>, I mean, <laughs> it had Hush in there, which I liked, so... You always see the Riddler smiling at you and then somebody gets punched in the face.
2: This is one of those scenes which I'm not keen on, because, uh... I think I, I read it on the website once in one of the "What's Bothering TVU." It's the use of CGI in traditional animation. It really irritates me as a fan of the medium.
1: I understand, uh, especially compared to the look of the comic, which was so like hardline and gritty. It kind of yeah. does. It kind of kind of throws you off. you of expecting something to match that style because it's a lot. The animation here is very sleek, and um, I, I don't think it really looks like. How, it doesn't look as dirty, for lack of a better word, as the comic kind of did. It's just kind of like this uncomfortable brightness with all these, like, kind of sleek clean streets. So I See, think I the 3D animation does kind of uh, goes against that.
0: I think that's one of the things I really liked about this, because I did not like the art. I found the art extremely hard to get through in the Dark Knight comics. Um, and that was one of the things I didn't really care for in year one was that it was so heavily drawn the way that the book was drawn.
1: I can understand that. Um, yeah, uh, the, the Miller at that time was definitely, he went from one style to another, and well, that this was the time.
5: Was Kelly. That
2: was Kelly. That was Mazikelli, that was year
1: one. Oh yeah, year one, yeah. is yeah. year one. Yeah. This one, Frank Miller drew and wrote, and this one actually came, this one was, was published before year one, so, you can see sort of like, you see a parallel I here love or it's there. It's ripped right from the pages, though.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I think that, that that was the only way that they would get away with doing things like Year One and The Dark Knight Returns because if they did a kind of loose adaption it's going to irritate purists. I think this way they balance everything quite nicely between, the, between keeping it flowing and keeping traditional fans like us happy about it.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think these stories are, are kind of cinematic in how they originally told. I'm not sure if there would be much of a point changing them, which I, I'm glad that the producers uh, recognized. Well, I will point out differences when I see them.
2: Now, we've seen uh, a few of the major characters so far. What do you think of the voice acting so far? I mean, I think uh, the guy playing Gordon is fantastic. I think they really hit a home run with him. David Sullivan. Um, yeah. Uh, at the moment... I think as Bruce Wayne, I think Peter Wellow is, is not quite doing it for me, at least in this scene. I think he, he definitely picks up later, and when he puts on the towel, I think it's a fantastic voice and cast. But maybe it's just in this scene, but when he's out of costume, it doesn't seem to fit for me, at least.
1: I think that the um, the voice acting is kind of hit and miss for me. I actually, I don't, I don't dislike Gordon's voice actor, but I think it's not a voice I would very readily associate with Gordon. I, I typically expect more of a deeper voice than uh, Selby gives him. I think Peter Weller at times does a good job, and at times sounds a little too robotic. Pun not intended. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a specific scene where I thought, man, he dropped the ball, but it's, it's coming a little later. But there are other times where I think that um, I think he does nail the older Batman kind of idea that the Story goes
0: for See
4: I really Go ahead I was going to say he doesn't
3: Peter Weller doesn't sound as Bored as Ben McKenzie Through You know year one But he's, he's Probably the weakest link I think in the entire film I just don't Ever buy that this is An old Batman and I think I know the scene that you're referring to and I'm Going to pick up on that as well, when he really dropped the ball.
2: Uh-oh, uh, some foreshadowing there.
0: I was just going to say, I really didn't like Peter Selby as Gordon. He, to me, was a little too high-pitched and whiny for Gordon.
5: So, yeah, I, I,
0: yeah.
2: I kind of re- thought that at first, but I think he really comes into it, and I think just with his age, it, it kind of works. I mean, not saying that everyone gets high pitched when they're older, but I, I thought oh. it was just the quality to it, and I think no matter what it sounded like, it was really well acted as well.
3: Yeah, he sounds like someone who's carrying a little bit of. He's still quite hopeful. Gordon's always been the hopeful character, the one who believes that Gotham can change, so I don't think he's going to sound as gravelly or as depressed ever, you know. In, in anything. So I, I, that's why I kind of buy him not being, I think, as deep and as, as sort of gravelly as others. Some people wanted, and some, some of the reviews I've read have said, you know, that they wanted a depressed Gordon. And I don't think that's right for the character.
1: I th- I w- this is the part where, well, not the part, but this is one of the instances where I think that, like, one of the things that I really wish they didn't do was take out the animal monologues from the comic book. It's almost never ending, but at the same time, it's written so well that I think Peter Willow could have actually had a lot more to work with and done well. And um, if you were to compare it to like a book like or a story like Watchmen, like Rorschach's journal in the live-action Watchmen movie is basically not. It's still it's left in there, and I think that uh, there are certain scenes where I mean we see Batman's animal monologue once. But I think that, like, that's I still find it a missed opportunity that they took most of it out because I think that does kind of build up the psychology of him in the story. Whereas for the most part, this, the movie kind of goes for this whole "well he's back" kind of thing, as opposed to what the book really kind of tries to go for. What do you guys think?
3: I think I... that they dropped. Sorry, guys They dropped that because it didn't work in Batman Year One, where they where it almost is entirely in a monologue. And I think Ben McKenzie sounded like he struggled, and I think Peter Weller would have struggled. The problem with inner monologues is there's not much area for expression. There's kind of... It's quite difficult to explain, but there's not... In a conversation with someone, you can emote and you can change your voice and you can up and down, whereas in a monologue, you've kind of got a... Do it yourself and think about where they would put it. And when it goes wrong, it really, really goes wrong. I think by taking it out, they're they're playing it safe, and I think that's a good move on their part.
2: Yeah, I I think they probably took it out because it didn't end up working. I mean, they did it in the first few episodes of Batman, The Brave and the Bowl, and then they stopped doing it there. I just think it's something that's hard to do. It must be hard to do in animation. And especially for something like this when there's so much dialogue anyway, to have such a dense um inner monologue going it would really slow the pace of the story, I think, and it would it would almost be weird to be sort of Bruce Wayne standing there thinking about stuff while characters kind of have to wait for him to finish before they start talking again.
1: Um, I don't know if I agree with that because there are certain moments where he could have had
2: it. Like Oh uh, yeah. But- there's definitely moments where they should definitely should have. I think they probably thought well, if we're taking it out here, then it's taken it out everywhere. But there were definitely times when it would have made sense to keep it in, and it would have helped the story if they kept it in. But.
1: Yeah, I would um, say that. Uh, just real quick, like like during like the two face battle when he's getting shot at, I think that's one of the moments where in like the 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 writing in the book was really good. I think that the internal monologue helped capture his psychology. I'll go after a little bit later. But uh what were you going to say? I was just going to add.
0: There's also a difference between Diedrich Bader and um, Ben McKenzie versus Peter Weller. I think one of the three is a, probably a more talented actor than the other two. I think he could have pulled off the inner monologue. I definitely agree that there's. it shouldn't obviously be incorporated into every scene, but there are times where it would be great to know what he's thinking for people who hadn't read the comic and were watching
1: uh, this. Yeah. Of course, all this honest conversation does nothing to the, the listener if they've never read the comic. But, which, if you've not read the comic, then this is our... our then our stop self. right now. Exactly. And pause
0: Pause the commentary. Pause the movie.
1: Read the comic. Realize it's better. And come back. Oh, did I just show my hand there?
4: Ooh.
5: <laughs>
2: well, I don't think it, this is one of those instances where if you've read it and then watch the film, it's disappointing. I think it's, it stands on its own. It's, it's more cinematic, and it kind of goes with the... Um, the powerful imagery and stuff with the book, rather than the the psychology of it from the which you get with the inner monologues, and I think it's a it's a different tone. And sure, it's not as deep, but I still think it's a uh, it works in the movie. And I, I think, like I was saying, it w- wouldn't necessarily work otherwise.
1: Well, actually, honestly, when I first saw this, and I've seen this twice before our current recording, I was actually very let down. <laughs> And that's not so much that I was like hoping this is to be the best thing ever, but like there were certain things, uh, uh reinterpretation of the scenes that, that struck me as they honestly could have done it better. I did watch it again yesterday and I was a lot more high on it because I realized that it, there's a difference between an adaptation and a movie using the same storyline. I think that they're trying to go for presenting the story through a movie's narrative rather than fully ad- adapting the story because and as an adaptation, there was I really do think there was so much more they could have done, just to capture the tone and like the gritty atmosphere. Um, but I think that like they make the story work well within the frame, framing of, of, of an animated movie. Like like right here, where it's kind of panning across. And like the, the ethereal, kind of like the, the way he's listening to TV and stuff, I think it works well. But um, at the time, I, remember, I will fully admit, I was just hoping for a straight-up adaptation and I was let down, but that was just me. You know, there's three people here and several other hundred people listening.
3: But again, wow, I several
4: hundred.
3: I think... <laughs> <laughs> oh, several thousand. I think is what you actually mean. Um,
4: yeah, I think well, that clearly.
3: I think the reason they didn't do the straight adaptation again is to do with Batman Year One. They tried it and it it didn't work. And I don't as, as much as you know. I like to slate Warner Brothers at times. I, d- I don't think they're stupid enough to make the same mistake again. I mean, Batman Year 1 was pretty much panned by everyone. Really? But, yeah, well, from, well, maybe again, maybe it's the reviews that I read, but it just didn't do well. I, I don't thought it was well.
1: don't know, it's fairly critically acclaimed, or at least appreciated. I've only seen Batman Year 1 once though.
2: So, I, I, this is here's, one. Here's this is where, yeah, you see some in a in a monologue, but it's more. It's kind of the the Batman talking, and but I, I think this is a really cool sequence, and it's done really well. I think the music really works and it's well in this scene.
1: Yeah, I will and say that um, the soundtrack is really, really yeah. good in this
2: movie. I think this no, this not. movie in particular is really cinematic. I mean, with the pearls, it's raindrops. It's
1: also. Uh, I was talking about this uh my brother yesterday when I was watching it, that. Like in terms of the monologue some of the lines are left in and some of the lines are left out obviously when he says when the, when you know basically Batman says to Bruce you know you know it in your soul and the comic he continues you know it in your soul for I am your soul and I think that's one of the instances where the movie kind of comes off looking lesser than the comic because the comic I, I agree that the, the monologue may have been hard to take but like to me it was always about what was being said rather than the constant uh, uh, presence of a voice that certain lines like that really hammer home What's going on in his head? I think, personally.
3: Yeah, I agree, but I think I think the problem, and it shows in this scene and in the other scenes where he's having the monologue, is the fact that he does what anybody would do, and that he has a conversation with himself. He's not having a conversation with Batman, and that that scene that we've just seen there, where where he does have the monologue, the 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 inner dialogue just doesn't work, and it's Part of the reason why the movie fails is because he does it like he's talking to himself. He's not talking like he's... It's a conversation between Batman and Bruce Wayne, and it's Batman coming back. It's just Bruce Bruce Wayne
1: with Bruce Wayne. I
4: love this. I think
1: that's, that's added in with the blood on the glass, which I think is a nice touch. I will say that, though, just for, as a movie, I think this is achieved being the darkest animated movie they've done. Oh it seems yeah. Seems like, <laughs> like this you would just not find in Justice League Unlimited.
4: Uh. So, <laughs>
2: I think this is. um I mean, I I do admit that it does feel kind of quick, because you don't have as much in a monologue from Batman. This I mean you get some of it i mean oh that's brutal isn't it <laughs> but um awesome you do get some of it but it does feel quite quick it's kind of like you see a bit of resentment at him going down to the cave and then it's kind of like oh i'm batman now but at the same time it's so cool i mean i
1: will say oh sorry Go
2: ahead. i it's just like i think it's from this scene and then it gets more intense further on like um you know, when he's he's chasing down the Two-Face gang and stuff, that I started to think, like, how grateful I am that I'm a Batman fan. As in, like, I don't know how many other people have this sort of thing where they have this and they can just get so excited about it. I mean, like, I was just ecstatic watching this and, like, having so much fun. And I was just thinking, like, I mean, sure, they're, like, sports fans and stuff, which I'm sure will get some similar kick, but I was just so grateful that, I mean, Sure, Batman's a popular character, but there's so much out there for us to, like, enjoy.
1: I agree. That's a very good point. I love they did mutants very well in this movie. But they're, where they're, like, kind of, like, slang and chick-chick-chick-chick-chick kind of stuff. The voice actors
0: for the mutants were great. I agree.
2: Um, How do you feel about the uh, the mutant speak, the slang of the... the thing? It's that kind of future, but very 80s at the same time.
1: See, when I was a kid, I never, it I was really hard for me to kind of read and understand, but like now that I understand this, like, I will say this, I, I don't like the fact that they show him doing stuff. Because in the comic, it was, he was all in shadow until that one big splash page. The fact that they show him carrying out the action, I think, does take away from the intensity of, uh, him's return. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, I agree to an and I think at the same time, they, like I was saying, they're trying to be more cinematic with it. I think it really works in the, um, Facing with the fog, I think that's really cool. Where you just see him sort of silhouette amongst the the smoke with the flash, gun flashes and stuff. But for that, I I agree.
0: Um, I think that it's it's nice that they included the scene from the splash page, but I'm gonna have to side with Donovan on this one. This this could have they could have kept him in the shadows and. Even just showing the batterings hitting the guy's arm, that would have been clear who it was. But mm-hmm. we don't need to see Batman until this.
1: This is the part where Christopher Nolan owes somebody some royalties. Is this <laughs> right, right in the Dark Knight <laughs> Rises? One of those references. This is a nice shot, like, right there, the cover. Gotta love it. I think
3: they I think missed I'm the Matthew- with that scene. Because they just didn't have anything dramatic during it it's just kind of very there and it you know i would have liked to have had some kind of score and music going through that when y- you see the seat the splash page
1: animated speed lines there which i'm not sure <laughs> and frank miller comic needs but whatever it's no
0: Frank Miller
1: probably
0: has other things on his mind
1: right now than what they're doing with his comics. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, who knows um... how who, who knows how far we're getting to Frank Miller act, his, himself during this. <laughs> all right, right there, that line: "These men are mine." Okay, I, I'm sorry, but like in the comic, it was full, all caps, in big letters with with an exclamation point: "These men are mine!" And that one, it just sounded like he was about to fall asleep and. That's that's sort of like where I think that Weller could have done better, or at least was given better direction.
2: I'm gonna say though, I love that costume.
1: I agree, the blue and grey.
2: Yeah, it's probably my favorite. I um, I also love in this that they kept in. I mean, I know they had the 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 gadgets, because of course it wasn't until the uh, eighty nine film that we got the grapple gun, and then you see the Miller's take on the grapple gun a bit later on, but he's using the. Uh, the grapple rope, and yeah, and then there's all those references to Jason Todd. As I kind of makes you wonder if Frank Miller ever thought about there being a you know a Tim Drake another Robin character. Because well, you all... know,
1: um, I don't know if you guys know this, but this was published before Death in the Family. This this the idea of Jason Todd being dead wasn't in the actual continuity until this came out, and then oh. like, they followed that up.
2: Oh, of course, because that was a uh, late '70s, they... wasn't it? Was uh, this, was,
1: this
2: was 86 and oh, definitely yeah. was 88. Oh. Okay. So the yeah, whole idea would, of the yeah, of Robin
1: see. costume in the glass case was started, started here.
2: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Welcome
4: to hell? Which he doesn't sound cool. <laughs> Never mind.
5: <laughs> Does
3: anybody else think this music in this tension scene just sounds like the start to Airwolf? Because I was playing the Airwolf theme earlier and it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> And it completely ruins the scene. It sounds really terrible. Or is it just me? I think you might have explained uh, to our listeners what Airwolf is.
2: <laughs> I hear a lot more Hans Zimmer than Airwolf. <laughs> yes, please it's
0: explain a- to me what Airwolf is.
3: <sighs>
4: oh, Okay, if, if you if
3: you don't know what Airwolf is, again, pause the film, pause the commentary, go check it out on YouTube. It's Essentially, it was a, a program released in the 80s. Where uh, a guy had a helicopter and he pushed a button and it turned into a massive military helicopter, um, and would there would conceivably then be million chases and things like that, which basically involved him pushing the button and blowing stuff up.
1: But you were and saying was going to
3: turn to a wolf. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, unfortunately not. No, it was much, much more exciting. But it's it the the soundtrack is just that horrible 80s. It's just terrible, and it really ruins the film for me. Uh,
4: you know
1: what, I, I just distract. I, you're making a habit of having to disagree with you because I don't think that th- I think that whatever 80s nostalgia the soundtrack brings up is appropriate considering when this book was made. To be honest, I mean, I'm not gonna disagree with you that it does sound slightly 80s, but I think that works well for the story because the story is as groundbreaking as timeless as it can be. It also is very much of its time. Like the, like the whole theme with like the, the mutants and the violence in this book, really sort of issues that Death Wish kind of sense of uh you know New York being like you know this place where you would always get robbed and killed by random gangsters that was going on around that time. So I think it makes sense?
3: Uh, yeah. I, I mean I'm not expecting orchestral choirs or anything. I'm just expecting something better. And I think it does have. I think the the, the, the you know it does have resonance now in fact i mean if you look at i mean obviously some of them they they've taken the lines out and, and bits like that there's a line coming up a little bit later where the guy says oh i'm glad the batman's back i hope he goes after the landlords well that was, that's a replay line from oh yes but
4: from the comic I mean,
3: and i won't say it because I'm, i don't want to get death threats but um <laughs> you know this it's nice. a lot of this stuff does resonate now with People being afraid of youth and afraid of change. I mean, the best example, and this will come out way after the election's done. So, congratulations whoever won. But, Wait, this is know, really? Is it? I don't know. When's it coming out? I,
4: I
2: don't know. If it's <laughs> it's on TV on the... schedule, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, it, in that case, congratulations whoever won, or keep voting, kids, democratic rights. But you know, it's it, you look at the the election stuff, and it is. there's 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 even a divide there where you see old against young and you know the young people are are being portrayed as democrat supporters and the old are republicans and they don't like change and it it does resonate now and there's a lot of stuff that i pull from it which will replicate so it could have done with a modern soundtrack and still worked, in my opinion
1: well i think that like a that's another thing about this story is that it's extreme. This is one of the most extremely political comic books involving a mainstream superhero I've ever read. Uh, to the point, I, I, again, like that line uh, that the guy says, "You know, hope I hope it goes after my landlord." <laughs> yeah, he didn't say that comment. But uh, there's like the constant going back and forth between the reporters and the news stations, and the whole thing with Lana Lang, you know, basically defending Batman, and people saying that he's a fascist. I think one of the things that this story did is kind of like put the idea of a superhero in a modern lens where we were saying, well, hold on, you know, can they really do the things that they were used to them doing? And Watchmen did that as well, which is why they're both, these two are both kind of seen as changing comics, but because this involved a less, an established mainstream superhero, it has slightly more resonance.
3: Yeah, until Frank Miller went nuts and tried
1: yeah, until, to do Batman
3: against Al Qaeda. Uh,
1: got it. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no sequel to this story. Yes, we won't mention the sequel. I'm going find that this guy wears a tie around his neck brace. Very you fashionable, have to look cripple. classy
0: when you are a slumlord. Or mobster. Or whatever he is, exactly. Hospital. Yes, Bronx. there's hot nurses to hit on.
3: Gangsters might be known for violence, but they're also known for being snazzy dresses. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever seen Dick Tracy? <laughs> <laughs> they try their
1: hardest. Uh This is also one of those lines that was cut out that I think really made Batman sound like I think it was sort of Miller putting his politics into it because in this scene Batman says you have so many rights I count them so I count them by myself to make myself sound crazy and that's like one of those very like man that's that's like a dirty hairy kind of line that that always didn't really strike right with me but I think it fits for the story but you see in the movie that they took it out. This is a nice scene. Of course, uh, Sergeant Merkel or whoever his prank is, he appears in year one. He also appears in Long Halloween, where he, spoilers, dies.
0: I like the scenes involving Carrie's off-screen parents. Um, and I, I like that they chose to leave those very much as they appeared in the comics.
1: Appeared. <laughs> That's a nice playing words.
0: Yeah. It wasn't intentional, but
1: we can pretend it was. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, who
1: knows who's editing this, actually, so. There we go. That's nice. It's one of the, that's one of the major iconography kind of things of the book, where, like, the bat signal's not in the sky. It's against these humongous towers. So I, think, I think right around right here is capturing the feel of the book very well. With like The backgrounds look very nice in this thing. I agree, I'm with you, Joe. I love that, that blue costume.
4: It's almost very pastel. <laughs> Oh, Michael, is it Michael
0: McCain?
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Every time I hear him talk, I just think of the sleazy neighbor from the Brady Bunch, and it was distracting for this character for the first little bit, and then it just started working because this is the sleaziest doctor ever. Dr. Wolper
1: at your service. The Sleazy Neighbor, I assume that's from the movies and not the television show. Oh yeah,
0: sorry, not the television show. The, uh, <laughs> the 1995
1: film. I don't I know that very Bunch had any sleaze in the original run.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only a little with Sam the Butcher.
4: Yeah. Here we see the uh,
2: 86 version of the Grappler novel.
1: Yeah, we're basically like a, a, a rifle. It's it's very odd seeing Batman with this kind of gun, even though he's not he's not using it to fire at anyone.
2: No, but then yeah, the first time you see it, it's like what a gun? What's going on? And it's not until he uses it you realize what it's for. I'm
4: gonna go shooting.
1: Here again, I'm not gonna go too much longer about the monologue, but I think that like in this sequence. It comes off more of a, of a typical Batman, Two-Face caper where, you know, he's, fight, he's fighting a supervillain. And I think that, like, for the story, that's the point. Because when Batman comes back, he has to fight one of his villains to kind of reestablish his return. But I think the monologue kind of sets in the part where his thinking of, you know, like, you know, in all my, in all 20 years, I've never felt so calm, so right. Um, just his way of thinking, and, you know, tackling the bomb and Two-Face, I think, kind of reiterated uh what was going for. But I think this right here, I don't think it's a bad sequence, but I think that if you're kind of just tuning in, it kind of seems like a regular Batman story.
2: I know I definitely missed the, uh, I used the, the symbol on my chest as a target, because that's always something I bring up whenever my dad's trying to annoy me and says, why does not shoot him in the face? I always bring up that <laughs> quote.
1: Well, Dad, as you can clearly see, it's on his chest.
2: Either that or I show him Neil Adams' Batman or the sea he against the... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> See-through oh shield over his chin. Oh, I'm shuddering right
0: now. That's a real thing.
4: No, because it obviously it's not continuity. Oh.
1: Yeah. AKA Wonka
0: Land. <laughs> no, Wonka Land is delicious. That's just crazy.
4: This is this is cool.
3: I want to know why Batman's using fear like though. Surely, after all his experiences with the Scarecrow, it's the last thing he'd use. And why it doesn't affect anybody else, it only affects one person. Does it, like, last take, like, ten minutes to take effect? In which case, it's really rubbish fear gas. He really needs to get some more. It's very Did
1: biased fear you... gas.
3: Yeah, mm. just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense.
0: How long has Harvey been locked
1: up?
3: Twelve years. Okay, some... so maybe
0: the Maybe the Scarecrow just has been gassing people so often, they've got an immunity to it, but not Narcom.
1: And this guy moved away, moved from Metropolis to Gotham. He's never felt it before. There
0: you go. Superman's oh. been protecting him, or something.
1: <laughs> Explained away. Backstory.
4: I like it. I can make it up for anything, don't worry. It's nice. Sorry, folks, we're so amazed by what's going on.
1: <laughs> we're, we're, we're speechless. I do like Batman's magnanimous chin in this.
4: That jawline.
1: It's the
2: thing of beauty.
4: Exactly. It
1: look,
4: it, what, was, what was that superhero on
1: Fairly Odd Parents? The chin or something?
2: The crimson chin. Yeah, the
1: crimson chin.
2: <laughs> I still think the best character in that show is obviously Catman. Oh, I was played by the best Batman actor
3: of all time. <laughs> of course. I just think Fairly Odd Parents was a brilliant full start. Yeah, it was, it was, really, it was really cool. It show. was
2: amazing.
3: We
4: should do Made a Rest of that next.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> As opposed to The Dark Knight
3: Returns. I oh,
4: really love this scene.
3: If they can do Scooby-Doo meets Batman, they can do Batman meets the Fairly Odd Parents. Surely.
2: That show, that Scooby Doo meets Batman, is most fun to watch to count how many times the symbol is painted wrong.
3: I haven't. I must admit, I haven't seen it. I'm gonna go watch it now.
2: I, I own it on DVD. <laughs>
3: it's on DVD. <laughs> That's the only thing that came out in Britain for Batman on DVD. Ever. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> yeah, we're special. You know, DC acknowledges that we're. You know. Second biggest market for DC merchandise and animated films. Not that I'm bitter. There's one thing. And they DC reward you with Scooby Doo. That well, yes, that's true. It's I was
1: nice. wondering if this was an inspiration for Hush.
0: I was thinking that watching that the first time.
1: Because he was involved in that story too, Harvey Dent. And like during the Hush story, there's a lot. There's a lot of like. Uh, everybody was wondering who Hush was and thought it could be Harvey Dent and he shows up bald and his face fixed
2: I do think this is a really good scene though Um, except you see more psychological stuff from Harvey Dent than you do Batman in the whole film Mm -hmm. but uh, I think it was a good reveal how they showed his you know how he feels about himself
1: I love his dialogue at least both sides match I think this is a really a really good because like this is where the first chapter ends. And I think this is a really good way to end it. So again, sort of a reiter- reiteration. You know, like you can't change who you are. This, is, I suppose, crossfire. A decade or so before that started airing,
2: it's so a very informal host that you can really get away with that on TV now.
0: With just lenses, it was. That's very Batman There's beyond a Death, yeah.
4: Character.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think V for Vendetta, and v for Crisis on, on Infinite Earth as well. Yeah, nice I thought, I thought it was easter great. egg there. Yeah,
1: comics that changed comics in the 80s, and they're all DC, of course, no Marvel.
2: Well, half of them are all Alan, Mar- uh, Alan Moore. Right. That was a stumble of my words. That wasn't me lusting over Alan Moore, by the way.
1: <laughs> as far as we know, it's yeah. very cool, the comics. Yeah, the fact that they're not repainted, they're just like literally photographed in there. I think that was a very nice, uh, um, Easter egg. This entire movie, Gordon's, like, chewing on nicotine gum, where in the comic, he's chain-smoking a cigar. They're trying to promote healthy choices? I'm actually actually surprised, because I understand in the the original cartoon series why people couldn't smoke, but uh, in these PG-13 movies, I am surprised that they changed that. I mean, it doesn't bother me, but I would have thought that, like, they would have allowed for such more vice-ridden characters.
2: Well, even in the uh, New 52, the comics, he's. uh, Cutting down, isn't he?
1: He still smokes,
0: I believe. I don't know, maybe. Well, given the rest of the content, I'm very surprised that th- they don't show that. Because I mean, they show them... Well, they show Bruce, anyway, downing... Oh, some blues? color... Yeah. Some color alcohol. Glass Was by G- glass.
1: Did Gordon smoke in the Batman Year One movie? I don't remember. It's been a while. I want
4: to say he did. Yeah, he so? did. Ian Essen. Commissioner Gordon being shot and killed. Oh. Just kidding. For the lols.
1: That's always gets me about fiction. When they're reporting a murder or something and they show the actual body to the, to the viewers, they would never do that in real life. Like, it's always on this week, like, person dead, you see their desiccated corpse on the front page. They'll be outrage but that's the, that's the difference between fiction and our wonderful reality which we all have it
2: well, I think they have done that in the past and it's kind of led to some <laughs> dodgy teeth it
3: happened recently they fought, I think it, uh, there was an American TV show uh, TV news channel was showing a police chase and the guy shot himself and they showed it on TV there was a lot of anger about it I think it might have been Fox <laughs> I don't remember
4: That was years ago. I like
1: how you did that. I think I'm not sure, but it might have been the Fox Network. (laughs) What do you guys think of uh, Carrie Kelly as a Robin or as a character? Seeing that she's sort of like like one of the main bits of iconography in the story.
2: I I think that see I, I don't I think in the book it's still quite a sudden kind of hey I'm Robin, but uh. In here it almost seems more so. Although I think they try and cover it up with things like I think she's got uh, I think she's got like gymnastic books or something or she's watching that on the TV or something if I remember correctly.
4: Um,
1: in, the end of, in this movie.
2: Yeah, so I think they try and play it out that she's kind of had some training beforehand. Like, you know, at least some experience with gymnastics and stuff, but I, I do feel that it's a bit she, you know, she comes out of nowhere, and then obviously Batman at the time is kind of desperate, but still. But I mean, Apparently, I think I think she works. I think she's a, a cool character, and I think it's definitely ahead of its time, wasn't it? So, and well, uh, um, I think. I was
1: it, just, well, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting people, but uh, like uh, I've noticed, I've said this elsewhere, but like uh, in this story, she's the opposite of all. I'm over talking over this brutal bloodbath scene, but. uh, in the, co- I mean, she's opposite of all the other Robins. At, up to the end, uh, she's she's not black haired. She's a female. Uh, she's not an orphan. She doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is or who Batman is. So, I think it was an interesting way to play off the character, kind of bring into this new story.
0: Um, she, to me, she kind of is in over her head. She doesn't know how to be Robin because first of all, she's taking no steps whatsoever to hide her identity. You have flaming red hair and giant glasses. People are going to recognize you. People are going to know who you are.
1: You. Oh, oh! I so like, like, well, one thing I like the fact is she's kind of endogenous. I think in, in like the third chapter, they think that she's a, a like the police think she's a boy, it's like, like boy wonder, got to be. So they don't know she's a female. But I, I see, I take your point exactly. Like she has no mask or anything. So to me,
0: it almost seems like, you know, she she wants this so badly, but she hasn't put any thought into it. She's a very impulsive teenager.
2: You say she hasn't got a mask, although I would argue that those glasses cover up more of her face than, <laughs> than a Domino <laughs> mask would.
1: Short, giant green glasses. Yeah, it was the <laughs> 80s. Everyone had those, don't you remember? All of us? This,
2: this is a cool scene as well.
1: This one rules.
3: Except
2: for the really nonchalant
3: criminal who just later on walked, she turns... Carrie Kelly turns up and then he's just like, oh, I can't be bothered with you superheroes always turning up. This is my... This is my job. Leave me alone. It's a really weird thing. The guy
4: in the,
1: the red jacket kind of reminds me of Terry McGinnis.
4: Who's to say it's not? Ha
1: <laughs> ha. I think this one... I, this, the basic scene is in the comic, but like, I think in the comic she like... There's like a five-card money scam game going on she puts a stick of dynamite in some guy's pants (laughs) it's like the same it doesn't matter same thing
2: (laughs) how do you think Ariel Winter did as Carrie Kelly do you think she did a good job
1: I'm not familiar with Miss Winter's uh, I'm sure award winning uh, movies (laughs) I say that I thought she did fine I, th- I actually thought she did a very good job apparently she really is like 14 or something so I, was
3: no, okay, I John, think John
0: John what do you think
3: uh, uh thank you for asking Melinda. Uh she does <laughs> ter- terrible <laughs> for those of you who don't know this is based based off the the, the massive flagging that I gave her in um, the Domo uh, cast she does a terrible job um I know she's 14, but some of the lines that she delivers, she sounds about 24, 25. It's just, I, she's one of the reasons that I just don't buy into this film as much as I should do. Her deliveries, oh, she sounds weird half the time. She grates. It's just, it just, just the whole acting just lets me down. And, no. and she was in Speed Racer as well, which is just a complete. Who was she in Speed disaster. Racer? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think who <laughs> she was, but she was, her, I checked her IMDb and she, she was in Speed Racer. But here, no. she just doesn't sound, she sounds old, not a 15 year old impulsive kid.
2: Well, I think she's probably is meant to be played quite mature, but, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to, Talk about—we just went past it with the uh, the general. Now that's uh, extended from the book. Um,
1: yeah, it's on I, one page in the comic.
2: Yeah, I thought that it was a really cool scene, mate. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if it's out of character. I think it just kind of shows it's kind of Batman's. I, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. It's that kind of mentality in that scene? And uh, I thought it was pretty powerful.
1: You know. For the longest time, when I read this book, I was very confused about that scene in the comic because it's oh, yeah. one page, it's like you know. I almost asked him why. It's like, what are you talking about?
2: I wasn't sure if that was a cover the first time I read it.
1: Yeah, and you get, I think the news reports in the comic give you the backstory. So I, th- I actually think that like that was one of the changes in the movie that they did that made sense because it explained it better. Now this scene that's coming up, it's, it's going to be a few minutes, but uh, this is one of the most violent fights I think you'll ever find in the comic. <laughs>
2: This is another thing that I think they did better in here than the book because I never realized uh, the mutant leader, those were pierced nipples opposed to just hugely erect. And it always Are you confused sure me pierced? when reading.
4: They look, he, look
1: like he sharpened his nipples.
2: I think in the in this film it looks like he's got kind of some kind of spiked cap over them. Whereas in the book I just thought he had, a, like I said, huge erect nipples. And it <laughs> always confused me.
4: Who is this? of <laughs>
3: He's going around without his shirt on. He might be cold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he's rallying the troops. He's probably excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're going to kill those guys so hard my nipples will stay pierced for days.
0: They could cut glass right now. Oh,
1: that's, how, that's how he plans to attack Batman. Someone get George Clooney. Sounds <laughs> like he saw the, it
4: in the I, 98 film.
1: I love, I love the look of the Batmobile inside. I don't. Know, it was really nice. Yeah. In the in the comic, like later on, and at this point, he's like having old man nostalgia flashbacks to Robin, to Dick Grayson, Robin. Uh, especially when he when he starts getting his ass beat, he's like,
4: "Where are you, Dick?
1: Please help me."
2: I think this is cool with um Carrie Kelly running down alongside the Batman Bill. I think it shows her doing more, and it helps you buy into her being. Robin, even if you don't see her progression, you at least see her doing stuff before. Because uh, in the book it's almost like she just kind of jumps on the mutant leader's back and then Batman's like, Oh yeah, you've got some balls, you can be Robin.
1: I will say that like I I, I prefer her being less experienced and less uh I mean I don't I don't mind her being active, but like actually her having fighting and taking the LCIs, I, I felt a little unbelievable. But again it's a different thing. I'm not saying that they were completely wrong in doing that. Because I think they do want you to kind of buy into her being Robin, because otherwise the whole child engagement aspect kind of, you know, gets flared up again. Which I really don't want to talk about right now. <laughs> so I find that a very annoying conversation.
2: You don't get the, uh, rubber bullets, honest monologue either.
1: Yeah, that's one because, <laughs> like, the mere leader has to tell the audience that. Apparently, a lot of, like, at the time this was released, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't heard about, uh, specific creators, but past creators of Batman, like, uh, from the Silver Age and the Bronze Age, were really upset at this story. And I can kind of see why in that mindset. Cause it is so hyper intense. But well, I guess you just had to be there.
0: Well, as a small child, that was why I was not allowed to see the 1989 Batman. My dad was like, nope. That's not Batman, you know, the 60s series with Adam West. That's Batman. This is too dark. You can't watch it.
1: If I may be so bold, how old were you when the 89 Batman movie came out?
0: Don, are you asking a woman's age? That's impolite. I was four. Well,
1: I can always cut that out of commentary.
0: (laughs) No, I was four, so, I mean, it wouldn't have been appropriate at the time anyway, but... Yeah.
2: Although, as I understand, in America, it didn't really matter.
1: I will say that, like, I was taken to uh, the the 89 Batman movie showing as a very, 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 very young person, and I, once the gun started going off, I started crying, and my mom had, my mom had to take me out.
2: <laughs> as I, if my understanding is correct, in America, it's more of a, a guidance, and then you can still, I'm not sure if it's changed now, or if it was the same back then in Britain, but I mean, we have very strict guidelines about if you're not 15, you can't come and see this.
1: Um, I think only now they they put in like you know if you bring a baby, you can't because the baby's gonna cry. But I'm, I'm not sure. If, <laughs> I don't, us Americans don't care about important things as you probably will know. <laughs>
0: um, and in Canada, it depends on like when I managed at the theater, I was really strict because it's like a ten thousand dollar fine for me personally. I was like, mm. yeah, it's not worth it. Get out. Oh, yeah.
3: That's why I'm moving to Canada to watch films. Because they still have ushers, I think, and fines of stupid people. Because Spider Man was ruined for me by a five year old. Did he spoil the plot for you? <laughs> no, they, he, it's all the way through, just questions, questions, questions. Then the lizard comes along, and then there's crying, then there's questions, then there's God. crying. I'd That's a lot of boys. Make them watch this. That would scar them for life.
5: I love is...
2: children.
4: <laughs> it sure careful,
2: like it. <laughs> careful, what context you put that in?
3: That this... give me several
2: context.
1: Now this, I do think, and this is this is I, I have the same kind of thing with the uh, Under the Red Hood, where like the whole actual he beats Batman with the crowbar, like right here. It's like. <laughs> it's I don't know. I don't think that looks very violent. I mean, I, I can tell yeah. what they're going for because he's kind of going slow, but he's not like savagely
4: hitting him. But uh, Yeah. Maybe I, should, maybe it's, I think
2: know. it's more of a relentless kind of, yeah. And it's really like Batman beaten then because he just can't do anything, and this the mutant leader is just wailing on him, and he's, you know, he can do it slowly and take pleasure in it. I think that's kind of the thing they're showing there.
1: I agree. I agree, and that's, that's how they're trying to show. It. I, I would have preferred. More like, because it shows it in its face, but I guess because, again, I think that the book is a lot more R rated, and I think this one struggled to to maintain being PG 13. I think this is one of the first instances of the source material being too heavy for its own PG 13 limits. Um, because I think, because we, as we mentioned, they take out certain things that are too much, so it's kind of an interesting
2: contrast. I mean, we've heard, um, Bruce Tim talk about the idea of doing an R rated animated film and I think they, they kind of struggle with the idea because you know like, as, as much as this is kind of for uh, adults and the st- people who are going to see and understand the storyline and see it because of the storyline are adults but it, they still have to kind of appeal to that child demographic
3: I'd say the demographic teenagers the animated, I think that's where their target audience is because to be fair all the You know, all the the animated films so far have been pretty adult in a lot of places. I mean, Under the Red Hoods, you've got the whole crowbar scene. This is very dark, you know. So I think that's really where they want to make their money. So they can get away with certain stuff, but obviously they can't cross that line because they'll rule out their target market, won't they? And doesn't Batman come out the top for this scene when he goes... Why is he going in through the bottom with Carrie Kelly?
2: How I don't think you Batman actually happens? see him getting in, do you?
1: Oh they put him in like the thing and like, he kind of slides into the Batmobile.
2: No, like I mean, the in, the, in the book I don't think you actually see him. You just kind of have to believe that this girl drags dead oh, yeah. Batman.
1: Batman. <laughs> There's almost fat-looking Batman, <laughs> which I like. What's the ketchup coming from his face? Now I don't it's know why they did catch. this. They didn't say that like she was a member of the Girl Scouts. When like, "How did you learn to do that?" and she like just doesn't answer.
2: I think it's um to further you know explain why she's you know why Batman accepts her as Robin.
0: I think it's to reference her abused childhood, like learning to set your own bones. Are you serious? Yeah. You think she was a Uh, I think when her parents could be bothered to put down the bong, yeah, they probably beat her
4: black and
2: blue.
1: Really? I never I never got that impression.
2: I'm, come to think of it, though, if they are so, you know, hippies and people and stuff, would they really send their daughter to Girl Scouts where she's taught rules and stuff?
4: I get the
1: impression yeah. that they, they would pawn off her learning to, somebody, to other people, which is how she is uh adaptive of what she does do. Like they wouldn't they wouldn't teach her herself, but they would like show her to people
4: who could teach her. Yeah. I think I
3: that, guess... Sorry. I was gonna say but that's Frank Miller making another political one of his political points, isn't it? He's going, Well, you know, left wing parents are all hippies and smoke pot and can't do a proper thing which yeah. is why we need the Girl Scouts of America and the scouts <laughs> and the na- You know, the Navy cadets and things like that to teach our children the proper, you know, way to behave and be responsible children oh, no, and not crazy mean. nothing like the mutants.
2: If you go into the Girl Scouts, you can hug a 300-pound naked man.
3: <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah, that <laughs> was
1: always questionable on the book.
2: Well, I I don't mind it because it's so innocent that I I, I never had a problem with that.
1: The biggest smile on her face. That's like, he looks off
4: like, yeah, I'm Batman.
2: I also think that Alfred, however old he's meant to be, is uh, terrific in this film. It's Michael Jackson.
1: Yeah, no, his name is, the, the actor's name actually is Michael <laughs> Jackson. Ironically, you know. Michael Jackson as Alfred, as always. I like how the, the costume is complete spandex. It's not this armor plated B 52 uh, yeah. crap pajamas.
2: Other than the Kevlar chest plate. Yeah,
1: which looks like an iron waffle. <laughs> as a kid, I was like, that looks like a waffle. This scene is a good scene, but I, th- when Batman's in the coffin, I, I crack up, As I never saw that coming.
3: <laughs> he was inspired to become Batman by Batman. time travel. Batman traveled back in time to meet the young Bruce Wayne, and heart hid in his coffin, not meant to be alive at all. And, you and then said, you know, you must be Batman. And, and that's how it started. Well, no, in fact. What? There's actually, a I I think
1: Detective Comics 500, To Kill a Legend, where the Phantom Strangers sent Batman and Robin to, on like, a, a parallel Earth to stop the Wayne's getting killed. And that Bruce Wayne fa- saw Batman and was inspired to become a crime fighter. Lyrics.
3: Pretty cool, actually, thinking about it. Yeah, I'm gonna
2: find, find that issue now. If you've got so it, the Batman we'll, that uh, just rips someone else off. Like, that guy's dressed as a huge bat. I think I might might get we him like, on that.
3: At the end, at the
1: end of the story, we see him like just uh, studying Sherlock Holmes and doing pull-ups, and yeah, he he'll, he'll become some sort of crime fighter. Maybe the Adam West Batman, who's not as dark, but uh, it's collected in the greatest Batman stories ever told. It's, it's in that. So if you find that trade, you find that story.
3: Once again, if you have that, please send an email to podcast at net with I've Got Stuff for John.
1: <laughs> how do you guys like how uh, Lana Lang has done this story? Are you Lana Lang fans out there?
4: I'm not a huge
0: fan of Lana. I like Paget Brewster. Her voice, I think that she did a good job.
2: I never had much of a connection to Lana Lang, to be honest. I only found out who she is, you know, within the past six months.
4: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> you never watched Smallville, that award-winning show which is now over?
2: No, well, I was pretty young when it started. And I, <laughs> it was one of those things where, like, once it kind of started, pretty difficult to catch up with.
1: Apparently, in the time, in the 80s, Lana was some sort of news reporter or journalist. So, this actually, in the time this was written, makes sense for her doing this. Although, at the time, of course, because that was not said in the future, so she had not, I don't know, packed on the pounds. But I like it because she, she's still believing in the superheroes. So, it's, it's, it's irrelevant what she looks like. She still has her head on straight most part. Although she does serve as a mouthpiece a political mouthpiece. This is the scene where <laughs> she grabs a naked Bruce
2: Wayne. Careful how you phrase that.
4: I don't think there's any way to phrase it. I mean if you read the story. I like that mugshot. <laughs>
2: How the do you mutants feel about really... Oh. Carry on. Yours is probably more relevant oh. than mine.
4: <laughs> I was just
0: going to say, the mutants remind me of propaganda posters right there. Um, just yeah. the chromatics that they chose to use. Yeah, I think, that was what, I think that's what he
1: was going for. I agree.
2: I was wondering how you felt about the use of the Joker in this first part because they've really kind of taken out all mention of him. I mean, there wasn't much. I mean, he does kind of stick to the second two issues of the miniseries, but there's definitely references to him, and you see more of him throughout.
1: Right, because the the scene at the very end of this movie where he says, Darling, takes place when Batman first comes back and he's hitting the news. Um, But I I think it works well for this movie because it leads to the next movie uh, logically, and um, it's a good way to end the film, so. Uh, in the story, I think it works very well, and
2: I think in the movie, it works well. Yeah, and I think you get enough teasers throughout the film still to kind of realize who he is, and then it, that scene at the end, it really kind of gets you excited for the next film, I think. I think they, that was another good decision by then.
3: I agree. I think, yeah, I think it works better dramatically, as sort of, having it, having it at the end of the film, Batman's come back and he's made his name. And he's, he's, he's returned and it's confirmed and it's not a myth or people being hopeful. You know, it makes much more sense for it to follow that path rather than sort of pebble dash it all the way through the film,
2: which could just be really confusing.
1: The scene is horrible. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Although,
2: uh, I just realized who I think the mayor looks like. And if I'd you've ever seen Spirited Away, you know, the frog characters.
4: Oops. The mayor died. Whoopsie-daisy.
1: Is that supposed to be Jimmy Olsen? No, he's a... I think they mentioned he was like a leader of a news... Uh, not a news... not a, a television network, but not a newscaster. I agree. He looks like him.
4: I
0: when I that. saw the Dark Knight... When I saw <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises, I didn't realize that came from this. I had completely forgotten about the arm brace. See, oh, I didn't yeah. think about that.
2: It's, well, I think they did a pretty good job of recreating it, although I have wondered while watching Dark Knight Rises why, when he had access to such a thing, he didn't put it on as soon as his legs were hurting.
1: Uh. Hey, look over there!
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the I Dark can Knight make up
1: backstory, don't worry. <laughs> I think the Black Awesome was great in this movie,
4: it, it really I, shows I think the contrast. It's
2: good, but uh, I still prefer the blue. But um, no, it's definitely think. cool. I I miss the old costume as well. I mean, with the trunks and just it not being so armored. I agree. But uh, it's the times we live in.
1: See, I mean, my my ideal bat costume is like black with blue highlights, kind of a mix of it all. I mean, I, mean, I the the black and gray costume looks good here, but I don't like it as his regular costume. Because I like I like more color on Batman, even though that ideally wouldn't work for the character. But um, I think in this movie I like how they kind of mess with the characters.
4: Or the, the, the colors just to say.
1: <laughs> I like the scene. I think this is a really good scene of the the, sl-
4: the slang. Yeah.
3: Leave no shit no cell. I still don't understand why they have their names on their
4: tops. They
3: have to be the worst if they're in, involved in criminal activity, you really don't want them hanging around with their names. That was the 80s. 80s. Everyone had name tags. Don't you remember? No. I was born in 1988. So, I only experienced a year in the 80s. That's I mean, when I was born yeah. in 89. I had no idea.
1: <laughs> That's probably one of those lines you probably wanted to be better, John. I don't shiv.
4: See, I think Before. their use. Of... Go, ahead. Go ahead, Melinda.
0: <laughs> I think their use of slang, like it, it very much mirrors future dystopian novels. In almost every single one of them, you've got some version of speech that's become, you know, just very common the the common person's word. And I think that's what they were trying to do with the mutants. And I think that's also part of why. John finds um, Carrie Kelly's dialogue so so jarring and so off-putting. You got to remember, this was supposed to be however many years in the future. Speech was going to evolve, so teenagers in this supposed future are not going to, yeah, apparently, or evolve so that you can have metal spikes coming through your head.
2: Well, I think um, I'll wait for that one. The language reminds me of uh, Nadsat, you know the language in Clockwork uh, Orange which I guess goes along with what you're saying about the dystopian future and the uh, the youngness sort of rebelling again against old.
3: Oh. I was going to say um, that it, it I think it's most reminiscent of the, the sort of R&B hip hop and to an extent black culture which has its own dialogue and I you know I could argue
2: Donovan,
3: would you like to uh... <laughs> but you, you, I mean I say this as a middle class white person but you know there's that idea that, that hip hop's got that that kind of it's got its own language and it's got its own lingo as to as have all young you know kids or, or teenagers or people our age we've got our own expressions and stuff so it's not that I find that bit jarring it's just I find her dialogue not believable in the context of everything else that's going around she's speaking very clear
4: proper English you know well, well I think in the it, comic like, uh, she
1: did have to she had more slang in her dialogue in her, in her script she would say stuff like like, like uh, figure I don't spend all this lunch money on this costume or uh uh, wins aces or something like that. She would, in the, in this movie, she speaks clearly, whereas I think the slang is given to the mutants, but I think that, like, everybody, every young person in the, in the original story kind of spoke like that.
3: Kind of the shorthand,
1: uh, shiv kind of thing.
3: And, and I think if they'd included that, that would have made her character much more believable, and I would have related to her rather than being jarring. I think that was a poor choice on their part entirely, because aside from very few people, everybody has their own slang, and to take it out, to try and make a distinction, just
4: seems silly, really.
1: I don't think so. (laughs) As the official TVU ambassador for black people, I must say that I didn't have a problem with this. But, uh, I, I, again, when I was younger, I had no idea what they were talking about. Like, I, I couldn't decipher what they were saying. But, uh, I guess it just depends on, I don't think this is a story you can really get get into as a young person. Uh, you might, you might like watching what goes on, but you probably can't, you, I would be hard pressed to find a kid who would understand what's going on.
3: No, that's why it's aimed at, at teenagers though, isn't it? That's because that's the stage where you are developing everything. So you're developing your own lingo, um, you know.
2: Well, you think it's your own. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you think it's your own, but it, you know, you you still develop it, and you still think that you're,
2: you being know, all being cool an individual
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I think that
2: then you grow up and realize that everything you do is a contradiction of yourself.
4: <laughs> <So>
2: <laughs> I cry myself to sleep.
4: <laughs> I be
1: really bad. You'll become a hipster.
2: I it's, wouldn't. You me. only have I to worry your any... school. I I know what hipsters are. <laughs> <laughs> You only
0: That's have to the
1: worry meanest thing you've ever wished. <laughs> this is one of those things where, like, it wasn't a monologue, but, like, Batman was speaking to him through a, micro, uh, a speaker, like telling him where to go. And again, it's not, it's not one of those things I miss, but I do wonder why it was left out.
2: I think they tried to make it look like he was following the light through the... The ventilation shaft although it's kinda of, physically it doesn't make sense but that's still a pretty cool that uh, Batman. Oh my God,
4: please, looks
3: Better than I think if they'd left the speaker in though it'd have made Batman look like he was just shouting down the tunnel at the like which probably would have been stupid. I think he's got a megaphone, hasn't he? In the comic?
1: They don't show him. They just, they just like see like the uh the word balloons. He says, "That's right. You know what to do with an unlocked door. Go this way. Go that way."
3: Oh, I hope this for yeah. a bat fan.
1: I love Batman. You know, Batman in this story has a lot of personality, which I like seeing. I don't think he has. I think this is me whining again. You'll hear in the comic cast, but I think that like a lot of times he's plays this one dimensional, uh, cantankerous, cranky guy. Who's not very appealing. I think a lot, a lot of times, uh, he used to have, like, like in the story, he has a lot of, like, personality. He smiles a lot. He has his own sense of humor. He's very arrogant because he, he is a master of a lot of things. And I think that, like, uh, maybe, I think this story was kind of the beginning of that, where he was so badass that he could kind of, you know, talk trash and, you know, uh, back it up.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's that. And uh, again, I know we said we stop going on about it, but I think there's some you see more in the inner monologues, but yeah, it, it definitely does still um, shine through in certain scenes.
1: Like right here, he's he's saying what he's saying to him. He has an inner monologue in the original comic, which I, I suppose if they want to take that inner monologue out, the dialogue does work.
2: It does, but I think in this scene, contradicting what I said earlier, I think because it's there's not really any dialogue, and it's just a a fight scene that would work, having that over the top of this battle. And it, um, because having him talk slows down the pace of the fight and, you know, we were saying earlier how it would be cool to just have this brutal fight.
4: That's what interesting
2: Well, I still think it's done well. I don't think it's, um, it, I don't think it falls out of place or...
3: It's so brutal that people are shushing Robin Dunn because yeah, I, I noticed that. Cinema.
1: <laughs> it's like, I, I, I thought it was very observational, like, you know,
3: shh, we're trying to hear the
1: fight we're watching.
4: we <laughs> are trying like, to hear what Batman at? is doing.
1: That's why they're talking.
4: It's a very interesting
1: voice for Batman, seeing that voice come out of that cowl. Like I think that delivered that line You're like, oh, it might never hurt, but you won't be moving the arm was done well. Um or some other times it's, uh, it's well.
0: This scene definitely I think is probably the best example of cantankerous old Batman, voice wise.
4: You don't get-
2: Here it comes. No, I think that's cool, but I actually, <laughs> I I actually prefer um, Kevin Conroy's delivery of the line. I think it was Kevin Conroy.
1: Wasn't no, it was um, it was uh, was say, Michael Ironside.
2: Did, yeah, it didn't. Thinking back to then, it I remember it didn't not sounding like him. So, but I still it think did. that delivery of the line was uh better. But maybe that's just
5: because
2: that's such an iconic line, and uh, having seen that previously in another form another you know movie form that that kind of stay, sticks out and you kind of want to see that again but I still thought that was good
1: I, li- I like him saying you don't get a son
4: me I like this transition <laughs> <laughs> soBs are subtle.
1: I thought that. They obviously, they're going up with the designs of the comic, but I thought they did a good job making Bruce Wayne look different than he does, say, in Batman Beyond. Now, in Batman Beyond, he's even older. He's like in his 80s as opposed to his 50s here, but. Yeah. That was nice to
2: see. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the differences between this and then what we know of normal continuity? For instance, uh, I mean, Sarah Essend is still alive in this, and of course, she was. Killed in No Man's Land. Or? Well, even like when this was published,
1: uh, she he and our, she was. This is the first appearance technically. Like she was referencing this story. Year one was her first appearance. And then she was in main continuity from then on. But yeah, obviously, like you know, she was killed and then retconned in yeah. continuity.
2: And then, of course, well, it's implied that uh, Gordon knows Batman's identity.
1: Well, yeah, Batman knows. Uh, it's open. It's an open secret between them.
2: Which, I guess, after he's retired, it kind of it's, doesn't need to be kept secret anymore. And I think it's kind of played out in the comics mm-hmm. that Gordon could work it out if he wanted to. But yeah, I, agree. I kind of like that dynamic.
1: Well, I think what makes this story work well again is because a lot of the idea is, like, is Batman coming back? But, like, the Batman of the past was a very, like, old-school Batman with a blue suit and the yellow oval and, like, the gadgets. I don't think they really play up, like, the sort of, like, high-technology kind of character. I don't, I don't want to talk over this. I think this, I think this movie ends very, very well.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's <crazy>. Oh, man. <laughs> that really is good. Yeah.
1: Uh, Melinda, were you going to say something? I thought you were going to come in
4: there. Probably.
0: I learned to just, just wait my turn. Um... <laughs> No, I I really like the choice that they made, and again, I can't remember if it's based on the comics or not, but the evolution of the smile, the way it goes from recognition to just that sinister Joker smile. Whoever animated that, flawless
1: job on that. I concur. It's a very good, like, quote-unquote cliffhanger, because it's like, wait, if he's back and Two-Face was around, what about the joke? Oh, there he is. Oh, God. He... (laughs) It's, it's all done. Um, so we're the credits now. I'll start with Melinda, because I know we were inter to the entire thing. Is there any final thoughts you want to give to uh, the, the way this movie was done? Um, re-watching? There was
0: definitely a lot more that I picked up on. Um, and watching it, listening to you guys, because you've, you've read the comic so much more than I have. I read it the one time, really didn't like it, It actually makes me want to go back and reread the comic to see what themes there were that I was missing or things that now that I know more about Batman as a character, because I read it so relatively early in, in my reading, um, to see if there's more that I can pick out from it. But by and large, I think that, I think that we really covered the fact that it could be improved with a bit of internal monologue, not a lot, um... John doesn't like Ariel Winters. I think she does a really great job. Um, I think that, I think that his issue might be more so with their casting choice. And I mean, that's, that's certainly one thing. But I think that her dialogue and, and the fact that she's not given any of the slang speaks to how neglected she is as a child. Like, I know I keep coming back to that, but I think there's so much that they put in there that is meant to show that because. If she's neglected as a child, she's been responsible for, you know, getting herself to school, probably going to see the teacher for any extra help, dealing with parent-teacher interviews, potentially dealing with bill collectors. She wouldn't speak the way that the mutants would. So I think that might be why some of the the lines ring false there, but she wouldn't she wouldn't have that same voice they do.
2: Okay, so really Cool. interesting point I, I never really thought about it like that but that definitely makes sense and uh, I think it definitely speaks to her character and why she would be more mature Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go next looking again I think this time I enjoyed it fractionally less than, than previous watchings just because every time you watch it you kind of miss a little bit more of the comic but at the same time I I don't think it's a bad, I mean, not by any means. It's I think it's a really great film. Sure, there are things that they would have been good if they'd kept in, but like Don was saying, it's not necessarily an adaptation. It's more of a, a film based on it. And I think that they were, in some aspects, so faithful to it that it really works. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a phenomenal film. John? I thought it was okay. It's not a great film.
3: There are a lot of flaws with it. And I think the, the main flaws are the, the, the voice casting of Batman and Carrie Kelly. Um, Paul Weller doesn't do Batman for me. There's plenty of scenes where, in my opinion, he does drop the ball. He doesn't portray the scenes. And maybe it is partly to do because it's come from a comic book and I've read it and I've got my own views on it. But, for example, the scenes Where he, Bruce Wayne and Batman are having a conversation. It's just a conversation between Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne. There's no distinction between the two, and it it fails really badly. And I think Ariel Winter does a very poor job with her dialogue as well. I do stand by the statement that she does sound a lot older. And obviously, you know, Melinda's point is very good. That yes, she there is there could be a conceivable reason for why she leaks. Properly, but I think her character, to be honest, in my opinion, because she's been neglected, would actually be more likely to pick up those kind of things, that's more likely to talk with the slang accent and, and to pick up, you know, bits and pieces. Because, you know, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to sound patronizing. More than I've already come across earlier on. But, you know, kids from who have less kind of discipline do tend to go to other people for that stuff, to be accepted, to be wanted. And that was always part of, in my opinion, reading the comics, what Carrie Kelly was, went through. She went through this whole idea of trying to find acceptance and probably moving around in different crowds and picking up all the different bits and pieces of, of slang and things like that. And then she she went and became, joined Batman and got acceptance through that and, and did the kind of right thing and didn't fall off onto a path that, that some people do go down with crime and stuff like that. So I think that her character ultimately missed that. I thought the artwork was poor. Um, a lot of the time it looked too clean, it looked too neat, it looked too nice. For a Gotham that is supposed to be decaying, tumbling down, being destroyed, I mean, they just ha- seem to have excellent street cleaners. I mean, that's something Gotham should really be very proud of. If they can clean up blood brilliantly, then, you know, good for them. But uh, it just doesn't feel like Gotham is is you know that that place that, that needs Batman and the music I thought was was awful and I know we've we discussed it and, and Donovan disagrees with me I think I'm pretty much disagreeing with everybody but I'm going to continue to do so it's just the 80s synth pop just distanced me from the film it just I just stopped buying into it and if I get to a point where I'm actually questioning stuff I have a problem with that film and I spent most of this questioning and wondering why they made those choices and, and it, it just doesn't work. It's not, like I said, it's not terrible but it's, it's, it's not, it's no under the red hood or anything like that.
2: Da-da-da-da, that's
4: John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of points I actually co-sign, not I'll say co-sign, but like, I see where John's coming from like I said, when I first watched this, I was very disappointed with it. And, again, this, just to kind of contextualize it, it wasn't something that I was going into, like, you know, i saying, I can't wait till this comes out, hooray! But I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. And a lot of things were jumping out of me. It's like, man, I really think they could have done this better. I really think they could have, like, captured... To me, the first viewing, I thought that the, this film was missing a lot of the, the raw guts that the comic had. I thought it was missing a lot of, like, this like, the intense, just... Again, like I think Joe said, like the, the, the balls to be, to be kind of crass that the book had. Cause the book is, this book is up there with Watchmen as how important it is in comics and what it did for Batman. And a lot of that is in the way it's told. Not so much for the plot, but for the way it comes across its own story. And I think that the movie was a very by the numbers kind of retelling. It had the scenes, it had the dialogue, but it didn't capture the feeling. Most of the time, having seen it again, now this is, the, now this is currently being my third time, I think that the way it's told is very cinematic. Uh, like the way it opens up with like, you know, the, the, car, the car race and like, I think the soundtrack does a lot to kind of build up like the despair it has. I think Peter Weller is very hit or miss. I think there are times where he does very well and he's a good Batman choice. I think there are times where he like misses the, like, it's, it's a, it's a missed free throw. Uh, in certain scenes, like the these men are mine scenes. Uh, having watched the preview for the for part two, where he's like rallying the mutants saying, or rallying the, the Sons of Batman saying, we are the law. I'm kind of in the same mindset where, like, you know, I, damn, I really thought he could, I think he could do that better. Because he's a good actor. I mean, I've, I've seen RoboCop. <laughs> so I, I know he can be, I think it's a lot to do with the direction rather than his actual talent. Conversely, I thought Ariel Winter was, was a very, did a very good job. I think she, she captured the dry personality that character of carrie kelly has i think she distinguishes herself as carrie kelly does in the comic from all the other robins and honestly when she's on the screen i'm paying attention more there are just certain scenes with like the way it's shot that that do differentiate itself from the comic book like in the action sequences and like and i love the scene in this movie where she and batman first talk but those are my my major points you know honestly i would suggest to anybody who's who either likes or just likes this film just to read the comic and make up their own mind because i would say the comic is a completely different beast But as for the movie, I think the movie is is solid. I think that, i still say that they could have done better, but I'm not as let down as I was before because I see that it's, film and comic books are very different mediums. And to expect one thing to carry over to the other thing is kind of facetious. Although I still, still think that like, in what this production team has done in the past, they could have done things, uh, made them uh, more effective. But, uh, I see people writing. Someone's banned from Melinda's room. Okay. And, All of you. Um, so, uh, wait.
2: actually somehow managed to kick John from the call.
1: Hooray. Surprise. So, uh, so, uh, with, with John being gone, let's give our very positive, uh, I mean, we, we don't have to do this, but I like to because that's how I do things. If you would give this movie 80 score out of five Batarangs, what would you give it? Just starting with Joe.
2: Oh, I think, as a film, and not so much comparing it to the comic, which I guess is only fair to do, watching on its own merits, I think it was a fantastic film. I think it was amongst the best Batman animated, animated, probably amongst the best DC animated films. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well animated. I loved the voice direction. So I'm gonna give this four and a half out of five Batarangs, and I really can't wait for the part two. Mm, no
0: wonder. Uh, like Joe, I'm going to say, Four and a half out of five batterings because I thoroughly enjoyed this and I remember really disliking the comic. So I went in with very, very low expectations. And for me to enjoy it as much as I did, I think that that means it was a good movie. It was a coherent plot. It kept it together because I honestly can't remember a whole lot of the original book, as is very evident. So for it to hold my interest, this well, when it had so many things against it from the outset, I think that I think that it deserves the 4.5 out of 5.
5: No,
3: two, no two guesses, I'm going to give it it 2.5 out of 5 Batarang. Not terrible. It's not Batman Year One. But it's not great either. So it deserves, to be honest, to sit in, in the middle for me.
4: Okay, uh, I... If, if if I
1: was if I only watched this once, I would probably give it a three. Because I never thought this was awful, but I just thought this was extremely like disappointing. Not on its own bet, but just you know, kind of middling. Uh Seeing it again, and even the third time, I see its its merits. I'll give it a very very slight four out of five batarangs. Better than three point five, but only just. It's a it's a strong four. It's not quite at the top for me. In terms of adaptations, I think that Under the Red Hood's very good. I think think it captures the feeling more than this does. I think this one had a a, a lot more work to do with it. But uh, it's good. It's good. Four out of five ranks. So, hey, with that being done, that is our post-credit thoughts. And those are our thoughts for the Dark Knight Returns Part 1. Will the four of us return for Dark Knight's Return Part 2? Only time will tell. So, tune in next time in the Batman Universe Commentaries. My name is Donovan, and these guys were... I'm still Melinda.
3: And I've always been John.
4: Except on Tuesday.
1: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Batman Universe commentaries. We'll see you next time at the movies. Theaters.
2: The floor's sticky, and I spilt my drink. If your friends don't dance,
3: then they ain't no friends of mine. Do the safety dance.
1: What's in this bowl of popcorn? What is that?
3: Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) That just makes you sound really evil, but then you're like, enjoy the thing that I put in there.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I
2: See, I don't know if you guys have heard of the... Huh?
0: I said I only spat in someone's food once.
2: That is... I I don't... Yeah, okay. I know what you was going to say. (laughs) That's evil? Well, well, I was going to say that, and then I was like, I don't doubt that in the slightest from you. So,
4: God,
1: God, a lot of immoral characters
4: on on this podcast. It's because there's no Dustin
2: to tell us what to do. (laughs) You get John and I together, we start getting really bitter.
4: We do. We're an (laughs) old man.